Here's a place where all of us can be safe. Our stories of transformation can be safe, and all the things we want to research are safe here. This is Safe Space with Cheyenne. I'm really excited you're here, and I hope you stick around for a while, because I've got a lot to show you before I leave Earth. I love you guys. Welcome back, my friends, to another fun-filled episode of Safe Space with Cheyenne. Today, I have Brenda Winkle coming on the show, and she is an educator, speaker, healer, and she's also a podcast host. If you want to check her out, it's Your Yes Filled Life. But if you'd like to get a sneak peek about her story and all the incredible work that she's doing for the collective, I've brought her on today to tell her story and just have a fun-filled coffee talk with me. So, hi Brenda, thanks for coming on. Hi Cheyenne, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to see you again. I love connecting with you. I can't wait for this conversation. I, yeah, I don't know what's about to happen, you know. Like, there's so <laughs> many things that we're going to talk about. Just through your website alone, there are so many things that we really do have in common, whether you're, I mean, you're a Reiki master. I'm just in the beginning of studying Reiki in person, um, so I already feel like I'm going to learn so much about, like, energy for you, but before I always do this, because I'm like, tell me your story. No, tell me what you're doing now. So... <laughs> Tell me what you're doing now. Tell me about this podcast that you have going on and all of the, just all the work that you're presently doing. And then we could definitely back up to how you came into this role. Perfect. So, you know, my podcast is called Your Yes Filled Life. And it's really developed from the idea that so many times we can mistake the yeses that we're giving to other people, to obligations, to jobs, to things we think we should be doing, and they're not the things that light us up. So your yes-filled life is developed on the idea that the yes needs to be first to you. And by saying yes to your inner self, your desires, that's where the richness of your life begins. That is beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I like that. I think it's really hard for people unconsciously to, who are living in an unconscious state, I should say, to like truly honor themselves and understand the value of honoring themselves. I think when you get it, you get it. But before, like, you know, like the retrospect days when you're like, oh, I can't believe that I didn't notice this or notice this. When you come into that awakening of where you've actually put yourself on the scale of importance in your life, it's really mind-blowing how we can take care of ourselves without taking care of ourselves in the beginning. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's a lot of conditioning around that, too, Mm -hmm. in our culture where we're really taught that, that it's so noble to give until you're depleted. And I just challenge that. I think that when we give from a place of overflow, that's where we're really truly sharing our hearts. Well, speaking from an energy standpoint, because this was one of my favorites that I learned from a Reiki master, and I continuously get reminded, especially going down the path of energy work when you're starting to dabble in everything to figure out like, what you're really passionate about in anything spiritual. So whether it's tarot, oracle, pendulums, whatever it is. Um, but they say, remember to pull from the overflow. Are you giving from yourself? Are you overly tired all the time? Because then you're not tapped in. When you're mm-hmm. tapped in, it's an, I mean, it's like the ace of cups almost, right? Just all that water overflowing. But in the beginning, 
when you only feel like you have this battery pack, you kind of feel like defensive about it in a way, or you even give people warning signs that your battery pack's getting low. <laughs> and you're about, you're like, the, the person that I've been the last four hours is depleting. And mm-hmm. like for me, that was a really big sign of disconnection even before any of the awakening stages that I had. That was one of my biggest things where I would just be like, okay, I have to go do this. Oh my gosh, my battery pack is like at half, which is like my social before I get introverted and awkward and everybody thinks I'm, I have RBF, right? You know, you're just (laughs) like staring off, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So what are ways that you, one, found that awareness, but do you teach people to overcome that? Yes. In yeah. fact, that is the root of my business. It's it's all about the yes-filled life. And so everything that I offer is designed to help people get to their yes, whether it's breath work or theta healing or Reiki or one of my containers. I have a signature container called Yes Academy. That's a six-month container that we really do a deep dive into what is getting in the way of your yes And let's see if we can shift that to allow you to really embrace your own yes-filled life. And so, yeah, you know, I think for me, my journey started as, as a child. I mean, I was wide open. I could feel people, sense people, and I had a knowing of what was around me and what emotions were around me and what people were thinking and going through and sometimes even what their stories were. It got shut down because it was really scary for the adults in my life. What age was this? Oh, I I don't remember not knowing this. I just, I I mean, it was just always, always a thing. I remember in first grade realizing that I was scaring the adults because I, I had a knowing that they, they, they sort of looked at me like, how did you know that? Mm-hmm. Like I had, you know, over, overheard something I shouldn't have overheard or they're wondering, you know, how, how did she have this information? And I just got the information because of my sensitivity. So I began to shut it down because it, when you're a kid and you're the sensitive and you're not seeing it modeled then you start to think, oh, it's me. I'm the problem. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Great statement. Yeah. So true. And you yeah. fit in, right? Like there's still like an approval thing that you have with your family or your friends or any surrounding that you have. But then, I mean, nobody wants to be the weird one, right? Whether you are <laughs> or not. But the approval, because I can remember being shut down too, innocently. It's not like it was anything negative. It's just everything out of their wheelhouse. And I always have to say that when I'm like, oh, I was shut down as a child. Because I don't want to demonize any of my parental figures. They all did a wonderful job. And I love them all so much. And we have so much fun talking about all the things from the past now that I, you know, am this octave of myself. But I still remember being very young and having a lot of similarities like that where I would shut it down and be like, no, 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 that didn't happen. Maybe that is my imagination. What, whatever you have to do to kick your left brain in and kick all the fun shit out, right? 
Right. And it's survival, right? You Mm -hmm. know, because if you can tell that the adults in your life are scared of what you're doing, your survival instinct kicks in and you decide that what you're doing must be unsafe. And so I turned that that ability into people pleasing. I funneled it really intentionally because I thought, well, if I can't tell them what I know, I can still show them what I know by making sure that they're taken care of. Because if they're taken care of, then I can feel better in my own body, in my system. I always say that's the underlying selfishness of an empath. Because when you meet an empath and like their goal is to make sure you're as comfortable as possible. And I said this as a joke one day to my friends because we were all hanging out. I made sure everybody had their drink, blankets, every like pillows propped up, everything. I was VIP full service. <laughs> and um, they're like, oh, you are so sweet. Thank you so much. You're so accommodating. And I said, I'm going to be really honest with you right now because I'm all about serving people. Don't get me wrong. But if I'm sitting here and you're uncomfortable in any way, shape, or form, I actually truly will not be able to relax because you're not speaking your needs on something, and I need you to know that you can speak all of your needs here, and I'll meet them as best as I can. So mm-hmm. then I made the joke, mm-hmm. like, the undertow of this is I said, I think this actually might be a selfishly motivated act for my comfort level, too, because I don't want to sit in a room with all of you knowing that you need something, and we're just... We're going about it like we don't need it. So I, I love that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of like, it reminds me of a Friends episode where like Joey and Phoebe are trying to do stuff selfless. So it's like <laughs> donating to charity, but you talk about it. So is it humble? And then like at the end of the episode, Phoebe's like, I bet I let a bee sting me, you know? <laughs> and he's like, you killed yeah. a bee or something like that. I don't know how it ends. But I, I had that revelation one day because I truly, truly... Like for me, and I know probably for you, like I love serving humanity. I've had so many jobs where I've been in a service role that I realized that that was a lot of my 3D ego training to be able to carry that over Mm -hmm. and utilize Mm -hmm. it in a greater capacity, a higher capacity, in a tapped in capacity. So I really wanted to analyze it one day because I felt very proud of myself for doing it but then I was like but why do I feel such a strong need to want to make sure that everybody's comfortable you're safe you're heard you're seen like all of these things and it could go back to all the things that I experienced but I still thought it was something greater than like trauma that I experienced because that's like the biggest topic now is oh you act this way because you were traumatized I'm like so I'm nice and accommodating to people because I was traumatized it's got to be more than that Like, let's focus on the light of the situation, you know? I think that there is a place in which trauma does teach people to read a room Mm -hmm. because they, they need that for their safety. But what you're talking about is the empath. And I was having a conversation with somebody this week, and she was telling me about, if we go back like thousands of years to the people that were known as the sin eaters, the sin eaters were the empaths. The people who could take on the uh, the negative emotions that other people had. Maybe it was guilt from the things that they had done, or maybe it was, you know, all, all of the negative emotions. And that was the role in that time of the sin eater. And I believe that in this evolution, the empath can develop energetic sovereignty so that they can maintain their own nervous system regulation, Mm -hmm. and 
sit with somebody else in their nervous system dysregulation and still be okay. And that's a big part of what I teach is how to create that sense of sovereignty so that you can feel okay and not have to people please or make sure that everybody's comfortable all the time. But it was a process to get there because to get there, I was the original people pleaser, right? (laughs) So you have the experience of knowing how to come out of it properly. Exactly. Exactly. I know what it was like to be in the thick of it Mm -hmm. where I people pleased my way into all kinds of situations that didn't serve me. Again, we have so much in common. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to back up to a cute little story that you reminded me of because if this is so conversationally and we're going to see what comes out, I just know I'm going to have great tree branches coming out of my memory bank. But this is one that reminded me, like, when I was a little kid, it always stuck with me and come back. It came back, like, later when I woke up. Um, But you're a little kid, and you know stuff, but you don't know how you know it. You're just kind of, like, following the voice in your head in a way. So we were going to, I want to say I was about, like, six or seven, and we were going to this small little, like, fall festival, probably 30 minutes away from our house. And at that age, you put a bunch of stuff you don't need in a purse and carry it around, right? Like, right. literally, you don't need anything. So I had this little purse on me, purse or a fanny pack, probably a fanny pack. And um, we were walking out the door. We were almost to the car. And I go, oh, I need a first aid kit. And they're like, what? And I was like, I need a first aid kit. So I ran back in the bathroom and I got the little portable ones, like, doop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. little baby band-aids probably got like five band-aids and an alcohol <laughs> swipe in it and I just I put it in my bag and I knew I needed it I had no idea why so we went along the show and I'm actually curious why I had to go diligently back and get this first aid kit so I'm just I'm just looking for a reason to use it almost I'm like why did I bring this it doesn't make sense Eventually, I got tired and worn out, and we continued on with the day, and we were at our last store of the day, and we were walking out of the store into the sidewalk, and this mom and her kid were uh, walking up the sidewalk, and then the kid ran away from the mom, skipped over the uneven sidewalk, and bam, fell down and skidded her knee, Mm -hmm. and I was like not even 10 feet away, and I was like... (gasps) yes, like, this is my moment, (laughs) and I, like, ran up, and I, like, dove down on the ground, I was like, hold on, I got you, and I opened my fanny pack, and I pulled out my first aid kit, and I just, like, handed it to the mom, and she was just so blown away, like, why is this kid running up to me with band-aids, like, I haven't even checked on my kid yet, (laughs) but I still, like, I can go back in that memory in that moment, and, like, me down on the ground, just like, yeah, here's your band-aids, there's alcohol wipes in there, you're gonna be fine, so then like all the parents met up where the kids are at and they're like your daughter's so sweet does she always carry first aid kits with her or something and I'm sure my parents were like no she actually ran back in the house for it and we have no idea why but I Mm. always remember that little memory of like sweet in childlike intuitiveness you're just you're not skeptical of it you don't know why and it I mean, it really did happen, and it's one of my favorite child stories of my life, but I think about how adults aren't able to really follow that voice because as soon as they get a message like that, their left brain will overanalyze it, and they're like, 
okay, we need you to do this. And they're like, no, I didn't really hear that. I don't understand why I need to do that. I can't see the whole plan right now, so I'm not going to follow. And, and I think it's conditioning too. Absolutely. Like, like we're abs- we're actually told, especially in religious communities, nothing against religion, but in religious communities, we are told that this is the way that you need to think and feel and do and be, and that you talk to this person. This person has the knowledge. This person has the wisdom that you need. And if you're going outside of that, then that's not okay. That's witchcraft. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And then it's, it's, we're, we're actually made fearful of the thing that we're all born with. We all have this intuition. Well, I love that you brought that up too. I had an experience. So when I was trying to figure out if anybody else in my family had actually had any higher intuitive like clear senses, not just empathy. Um, I know that that's a big one. I believe all of us have all, all of these anyways. Um, but like higher stuff, like had, is anybody in my family ever experienced clear audience? Has anybody seen this, seen this, seen this? And I finally sat down with my mom one night and she said, which this whole side of my family has been like Catholic for a long time. So she, I said, was there anybody in our family that like ever mentioned ever seeing, hearing, like anything? Because anything to go off of. Like at this point, I'm like, please give me a nugget, right? I need to go down another family rabbit hole. And she's sitting there and she told me a story about her grandma. When she was younger, she faintly remembers her talking about hearing and seeing stuff. So whether it was seeing stuff out of her third eye or spirits, and they would talk to her in her ear. She went to the church about it. I'm pretty sure they told her it was Satan trying to get to her and to <laughs> shut it down. So the church, the church made her fearful of this <laughs> God-given gift. And then she, whether she used her intuition for good the rest of her life, I don't know. I never met her. I don't know how that gift actually in like continued after that. I just thought it was an absolute tragedy that she feared something that was God-given. Since mm-hmm. so often when people see you have a gift, they're like, you better nurture that. God gave that to you to grow and nurture it. And then you get into this battle between uh, religion and spirituality and us, you know, having that little light in us and connecting back to source and really being a vessel for source. But then mm-hmm. there's a limit on how much of a vessel you get to be. Because if you get in the way of that agenda where, like you said, you have to, you, he can talk to God for you. Okay, mm-hmm. you're not worthy enough. Okay, you're, you're going to work on it, but. Right. And, you know, they also, and by they, I mean, I mean the church overtly says that anything psychical related to a psychic knowing is a sin. It's overt. It's in the doctrine. And so if, if you are told that you're going to burn in hell for following your intuition, you have almost zero motivation to follow it. I mean, it has to be so strong in your system that, that it comes forward. Otherwise that fear will keep it repressed. And I, I have to believe that, you know, as we come into this awakening, as we are in an awakening as, as a planet right now, as we come into this awakening and the church is shifting, I have to believe that this is part of it. And as 
you know, if, if organized religion wants to continue, they'll probably have to change some of the language around that because if it means that you can't be religious and have these inner knowings, a lot of people are going to choose the inner knowings. Yeah, but even terms like discernment is in the Bible, and it's like, oh, Jesus gave you the gift of discernment, and I'm like, that would still kind of be presenting something to your issue, intuition and knowing the difference. So, mm-hmm. so there's we're still a philosopher with psychic abilities, but we're just not coining them as psychic abilities. We're just saying like, oh, everybody has that, right? There's a there's a philosopher named Ken Wilber. He's one of the predominant uh, philosophers on religion in the world. And I heard him speaking on the Mind Valley podcast. And he was talking about the evolution of thought and the expansiveness of thought. And for anybody who's really curious about diving into this, I would recommend listening to that podcast because he has such a, a beautiful way of describing it in a way that is well, you're bite-sized and relatable. What's podcast and what's the episode you're referring to? It, his name is Ken Wilbur, mm-hmm. and he was a guest on the Mind Valley podcast. Mind Valley. Mm-hmm. I'm writing it down. I take notes because I, I sometimes feel like, well, every time I feel like I'm in like a class that I picked, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm getting jewels every time I talk to people. Okay, great. It's funny because when we logged on, this was not in my in my vision of what we were going to be talking about today. So I didn't I didn't come with that research ready to go. No, that's okay. I'm glad that we both like I was incensing my whole place <laughs> and I'm like just let me know what you want to say. Keep my tree branches to a minimum. I want to hear Brenda <laughs> talk most of the time. My first, my first show, especially the first three seasons, I was absolutely so excited to talk. I was so excited to be reunited with the microphone again, and you can freaking tell. Um, <laughs> I mean, you really can. I mean, I was like the main host of the show too, so like, you gotta fill the spaces, right? But now I'm like, I make a conscious effort as much as I can to be like, just let them talk, just let them talk, interject when you can. But then sometimes I get really excited on the topics we're going to talk about and all the stories come out and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have a relatable story here. Oh, I have a relatable story here. And I think it's great because again, I still picture myself as a listener and I'm like, both of these women had the same experience that I had when I was a child. Mine's different, Mm -hmm. but it's the same. And Mm -hmm. it just, it all goes back to, oh, I'm really not alone. Oh, I, more people are having these experiences and it. It makes me feel more alive when I feel more connected to people that have had similar experiences. Mm-hmm. I think that there's so much, there's so much richness to use that word again in sharing experiences. Because if we start to think that we're the only one experiencing something, it's really easy for that to turn to shame. And when we're feeling shame, we shut down, we collapse. And it's really hard to be expansive and in your own power when you're experiencing shame about who you are. Well, it's really important to say like being in like the receiving mode, which is a super big term in yoga, energy work, chakra talk, everything. And I love researching that because it almost calms my left brain to where 
I believe it more. Because in the mm. physical world, like, we need something, like, so tangible in our face. Like, if I'm like, hey, this is selenite, you're like, yep, that's selenite. I can see it. But if I was like, hey, this is selenite in my hand right here. It's, it's located in the fifth dimension. You usually can't see it. I can see it. I can describe it to you. Most people would be like, <laughs> okay, all right, you see invisible crystals. And sometimes you kind of feel like that with energy work because it is a tap in, tap out of, depending on where you are with your frequency and vibration. Mm -hmm. But I love the science behind all of that because it really, really does ground it for me. So then when I go into my own personal training and I want to kick something out like, oh, that can't work for me or, oh, you know, whatever reason that you talk yourself out of it, I'm always like, no, look, like audit yourself. Like, I have to talk to myself. I'm like, audit yourself. Is your heart open? And I'm like, no. Why is your heart closed? Because of X, Y, Z. And then I'm like, well, you can't receive anything. And we're talking about manifestations, law of attraction, the word of whatever creator speaks to you, all of that. So I'm constantly auditing myself because my heart isn't always open like I'd like it to be. I have studied Greg Braden's video. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but it talks about um, the 0.1 hertz frequency. It's the heart and brain being in coherence mm. together. And there's mm -hmm. breath work that you can do to get into it, but they did a whole study on how this compassion frequency unlocks higher intuitive abilities and the crown chakra and connecting with source. So many other terminologies I can't think of right now. But I studied that video because I was like, I really do just want to live on this frequency. But I found you can hit the frequency. It's really, really hard to maintain because you're coming back down with your awesome vibration going into other auric fields. And you're going you're gonna to pick that stuff up. So it really is like a fun little battleground out here because you have your centeredness, right? And then you're like, okay, I'm just going to like go to the grocery store or something. I feel great. I'm going to smile at everybody, blah, blah, blah. And then you go in and you just either observe something happen or someone doesn't treat you with compassion. And you're like, be compassionate. Yeah, just they need love. They're void of love right now. Their heart's closed too. And it really so does this is where energetic happen. sovereignty comes into play. Ooh, nice. Because when you can create energetic sovereignty, you are no longer as malleable to the arc fields of other people. It, it bounces off you in a way. You can still be connected to them. You can still maintain your vibration. You can still maintain that heart-brain coherence, which is what you're talking about in the compassion frequency, mm -hmm. and not be affected by other people. But it really is practice in maintaining your own energetic sovereignty. I know that's one of the biggest things that I still am working on, and I really, really love talking about the things that I struggle with or I'm working on because, like, vulnerability is one of my biggest things. So just being like, this is how I'm experiencing it right now, and I know that there's more fine-tuning to do. I love that. But when my dreams remind me that it's, like, the main thing is when I'm like, okay, I'm listening. I'm listening. Like, I'll work on it more. A couple weeks ago, I had a dream where I was getting ready at my house and I walked out of my door and immediately out of my door is like a busy sidewalk. It almost looks like New York, only it's not all the way packed. And I immediately started walking the opposite direction of the whole crowd. And as soon as I went outside, 
my natural color turned to like blue and like they were sucking all of my energy out of me and I just closed my eyes back and I just went oh my god I can't do it I can't be around these people Mm. and then I had like a guide come in and they're like this is what we're telling you you have to figure out how to protect yourself better when you go out to these places because you are extremely sensitive to other people's frequencies it's something that you're tapped into now it's going to be a higher sense of lightness unconditional love gratitude and compassion but it's also like the pain's going to feel more intense because it just is that's just how it is i think it's an alan watts quote that i can't think of right now but he talks about the greater awareness of higher pain counts for higher love counts when you vibrate a little higher Oh, for sure. I think that as you, as you allow your emotional experience to expand, Mm -hmm. you experience a bigger range of both emotions, whether it's a high vibe emotion like joy, love, passion, Mm -hmm. or a lower vibrational emotion like grief or sadness. I'd love to try something with you here if you want. Uh, yes. Okay, let's do it. So what I'd like you to do is just to center your energy on your heart. Okay. Okay, so drop into your heart. There you go. There you go. Now, take that heart energy and drop it into your root. There you go. Okay. So, listeners, I'm watching Cheyenne. Her posture is changing a little bit. She's sitting up straighter and her shoulders just dropped. Okay. Now, place your attention on your central channel and bring all of your energy back into your central channel. There you go. There you go. That's it. So now you can still feel and sense that I'm here. Yes. You are in your own energetic sovereignty. Mm-hmm. How's that feel in your system? It feels amazing, but how do you take that outside and then still talk to people? Cause what I've found is I love talking, but sometimes I'll get just like super compassionately quiet and I just like observe and I just stare and I'm not like, it's just, I really think it's like a floaty flighty part of me. Um, and I've done this several times, but how in your expertise do you, I, the feeling Yes, this is why I'm addicted to meditation and almost scared to do it sometimes because I'm like, I'm going to get so high and then I'm going to come back here and I'm just going to be like, you're going to think like I took ecstasy. I'm like, I love you guys. That's really all I have to say. I think you're great. Your shirt's cute, you know. So like, how do you really like integrate it and bring, bring it back down? Part of it is practice, mm-hmm. like literally practicing, practicing, dropping into the heart and then dropping the heart into the root and just daily practice, not even daily. It's like brushing your teeth. You have to do it often. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of it is expanding your nervous system capacity to be- make it be- your body believe that it's safe for you to be in that state. And for me, breath work is the key that unlocked everything. That is so important. You just highlighted so many things. I'm on such a heightened awareness when I go out of my house. Like mm-hmm. immediately I go into almost like a warrior mode. And I don't want it to come off as like the Einstein thing where it's like if you see like a dangerous world, you live in a dangerous world. Like I always walk out of my house and like say very, very positive things. 
but I was also raised by a police officer who trained us to be aware of so many different things. So even when I'm out by myself, I'm still very aware of like my surroundings. But mm -hmm. when I'm with my daughter, I have to admit, I can drop into fight or flight immediately with her. The only way mm -hmm. out of it is kind of bring myself back to center and be like, you're protected. You're not alone. I know that you feel like you're alone out here in the grocery store with your daughter, but you are so protected. I call in whatever archangel to kind of help me. So you just made me realize that because there are times where, again, like I'll leave the safety of my house and I'll be like, thank you, house. Stay safe. Have the dogs guard the house. And then as soon as like maybe I get into like heavy traffic or something like that, I notice that switch. Luckily, I have music to help me. But you just made me realize like I'm, I just noticed when I change from ha to wait, what's that? What's going on? Am I hyper right. aware? Am I hypersensitive? What's going on? So let's talk about, there's, there's two pieces to this. One is the hypervigilance, which we'll come back to. But so our, we have intelligence centers in our body. We have the, the head, our thinking brain. We have the heart and we have the gut. The head, the heart, and the gut all move at different speeds. So our head, our thinking brain moves very, very quickly. That's why the thoughts just keep coming and we're reactive and we're making decisions and we're just moving fast. The heart moves a lot more slowly. And if when we drop into our heart, we have to give ourselves permission to, to move more slowly because our heart moves more slowly than our brain. As far as making decisions, picking up awarenesses, things like that. Our gut moves at a slower speed still for most of us. So usually the first thing that will happen is there will be some kind of sensation in the gut. There will be like a flash of anxiety or it might be an upset stomach or even heartburn. And then it takes us a while to understand what that's about. It's because the intelligence center in the gut is moving at a different pace than our brain. So we have to be intentional about slowing down to give our other intelligence centers time to communicate with us. That is a TikTok right there. My <laughs> goodness. <laughs> I'm like, I think the whole episode, I'm just going to be like, yes, yes. Oh, that makes so much sense. Man. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You're like blowing my mind. Like I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like what we're actually doing is recording my session with you. And I'm like, hey guys, listen to all the shit I'm working on. How cool. Okay. That's awesome. Um, so so let's talk about the hypervigilance. Yeah, do that. Blow my mind again, please. So the hypervigilance comes up for people who've experienced trauma. And when I say trauma, I want to define trauma as really simply. It's too much, too fast in a way that I don't have capacity to manage whatever it is. So trauma can be anything as long as it's too much, too fast and exceeds my capacity to deal with it. I love that. So if we take away the hierarchy of trauma, and when I say hierarchy, I mean, I sometimes hear people say things like, well, what I went through wasn't as bad as what you went through. Let's take away all that hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And just realize that trauma is too much, too fast in a way my, that exceeds my nervous system capacity. 
So trauma could be a move. That could be traumatic for somebody. Trauma could be a bullying incident at school. Trauma could be one of the big T traumas that we talk about, you know, with something, uh, an assault or something that that happens. Mm -hmm. It's all trauma. And the body doesn't really care if it's, quote, a major trauma Mm -hmm. or a minor trauma. The body stores it. And so the hypervigilance comes from the body's remembrance of the trauma. So isn't that also like when your subconscious kind of has a script played out for you, so it almost, it's almost like you're pulling from a computer file and then it's like, hey, just so you know, when this happens, this is how you're supposed to react or this is what's going to happen. So it's, yeah, it, it's, it's related. It's like a PTSD thing, but... It's related, but it's it's slightly different because the subconscious is in the brain and what I'm talking about is in the body. Okay. And so the subconscious plays a role. Absolutely, it plays a role in this because we're pick, drawing from patterns that we've experienced. We're drawing from different things that we've lived through. But in the body, it's not it's not actually differentiating between what happened yesterday and what happened 35 years ago and what's happening today. The body doesn't know the difference. So that's why you can think that you've healed a trauma because you've really come to the end of your counseling, which happened to me. You come to the end of your counseling. They're like, you're good. You're done. You've graduated from counseling or graduated from your therapy. And you, you're like, yes, I'm so excited. But wait, why do I still feel so anxious inside? Mm-hmm. Why do I still feel so hypervigilant? Why am I scared all the freaking time if I'm healed? And the answer is because it's stored in the body. It's not stored in the mind. And so when we can heal the experiences in the body through somatic healing, like through theta healing or breath work or Reiki, then we can begin to experience the actual entanglement. So when you're saying theta, what, describe more when you say work with theta, because theta always pops up to QHHT for me. That's just my reference for theta work, but. Oh, I don't know what QHHT is. Um. Theta healing is... Cannon? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, my gosh. Okay. We'll talk about this later because I'll take over the whole episode (laughs) with Dolores. But when we're done, I will be like, listen to this. Okay. 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 Awesome. I look forward to to learning about that. It's hypnosis. So I'm just like, what do you mean theta? How are you getting into theta? Are you doing breath? Yeah. So theta healing is a theta healing meditation technique. Okay. Was developed by Viana Stiebel in 1995. She was diagnosed with a kind of bone cancer and she went into this meditative state repeatedly where she was asking creator for healing and she was able to heal the bone cancer with this meditation technique. Mm. And she thought to herself, I wonder if I can replicate this. I wonder if I could actually use this same technique to heal other parts of my body and other people. And she found that she could, and she began to offer healing sessions. And next thing you know, she was training people to become theta healing meditation technique practitioners. And now there are over 65,000 of us around the world. And it is using the theta brainwave state to really dive into where we've stored these things. Is it on the genetic level, the history level, the spiritual level, the physical level? Where Where is it stored and how can we shift it? 
mm, mm, mm. I do remember us talking about that before, now that you brought it up, especially the 65,000, because I was like writing, I have it written down in your notes, I'm like, look into this. Because <laughs> I have like a whole list of things I want to study, but I have to focus on like the rest of my 30s. So I came across cranial sacral training, because um, I am just dying to learn it. And I decided I actually don't have time in my 30s to do it. So yesterday I put it on the 40-year-old <laughs> post-it. <laughs> I was like, I literally do not have time to train for that. I still have to get through Reiki, yoga, um, and like whatever. I literally have post-its of certification, so I just always keep going. Um, but another thing about Theta that I love that we're talking about now is I feel like this is a really relatable story between couples. And my husband, even if he, like, got, like, six to eight hours of sleep and he just happens to wake up at four or five in the morning, um, he can, like, pop out of bed and just, like, go start his day. And I told him last night, I am completely envious of the way that you pop out of bed like that. And he said, well, the reason I do it is because I know when I'm up, like my rim is over. And if I fall back into sleep, I'm really not, I don't have enough time to start another rim cycle. So I'm just going to wake up more tired. So I might as well get up. And I said, I feel like I need to explain myself because I love hitting a snooze button. <laughs> Even when I like night shy tells morning shy, just get up when the alarm goes off. I said, usually if I don't wake up right before my alarm or my alarm does wake me up and I go, oh my gosh, it's 6 a.m., I said, I roll over and I'm still highly suggestible when I hit snooze. I'm still in a very dream sleepy state. And before I took the bull by the horns with my mental health, I used to wake up with a rock, like a boulder on my chest and every fear and every worry and every insecurity Everything would attack me the moment I woke up, and it was daunting. It was so hard to put my feet on the ground. I struggled with suicide ideation horribly because I just I didn't know how to get rid of these extremely dark, intrusive thoughts, and 100% of them were not freaking true, which is the most annoying part about it. So I said, when I am aware that I am laying in bed and I am awake, I immediately start doing affirmations in my head. I wake up and I thank the creator for giving me another day. And I say, I mean it. Because there was a time where I was like, I can't believe you. I can't believe you didn't take me. I've been begging you to take me. And now I'm like, thank you so much. This day's going to be so beautiful. Um, Literally, like, whatever affirmation comes to mind. You know, after a while, you get, like, a whole bank in your head, and you kind of go through your Rolodex of it. So I said, I do that, and I roll there, and then I'll start moving my body slowly, like I'm coming out of Shavasana and yoga. And I'll, like, I check in with my body. I'm like, does anything hurt today? How is my breathing? And then I'll check to see if there are any of those weird thoughts in the parameter of my mind. And if it is, I'll go to it, and I'll, like, pop it like a bubble. I'm like, mm -hmm. you're, not, you're not even allowed in here today. We've already done our affirmations. I love everybody. I love my life. I'm so grateful. I need to go brush my teeth, but I'm not putting my feet on the ground until I have literally audited my mental and my physical state. And then I can set the tone for my day and move forward. Um, I have affirmations literally as I brush my teeth everywhere because I'm obsessed with retraining those parts of my brain. That is so smart. What a powerful practice. 
when you have been, everybody has their own darkness, right? So like, I don't want to compare mine and be like, I was in such a dark place, you don't even know. That's not true. I think we have all been in our own darkness. Um, and I sat with mine for so long. I really studied it, thank God. And I know how bad it gets. Like I know the levels of darkness that I am able to fall into. And I know, um, thank God through my bag of tricks, what can get me out of it. But I also know if I don't take accountability literally every day, like you kind of take a vacation. It's like, I've been clean eating for six years and I'm going to go eat cheeseburgers for three weeks. It's that same feeling mentally. Um, I will go down so fast and it mm -hmm. sucks so bad because I put so much effort into continuously keeping the positivity flowing through me as much as possible and keeping all that shit away from me that some days, like, you're going to have your bad days, right? You're not going to keep it away. But I audit those days and I'm like, what level are we at? Like, are we just going to be able to turn some music on and meditate and do some yoga, maybe journal? Or is life too busy today? And I like, I have to do like, maybe like a tapping exercise or like I have a vision board in my laundry room. I have affirmations. Like you open up our cabinets, there's post-its. Like when my husband gets his coffee, there's a sign that says your only job is to remember who the fuck you are. Sincerely your soul. And like, I make him read it every day. And then underneath it, there's a post-it that says, um, direct experience is our best teacher. It's from a book called Kundalini Exposed. And I have I mean, literally, I wish I could show you all the post-its I have around. And I've done this, like, before I even knew, like, affirmation work and mantras or anything like that, I've always had positive sayings around. And it's something my mom instilled in us from a young age because I think that she's used it, like, her whole life. And mm -hmm. the biggest one that my mom would tell us is, baby, the mountain can't get any bigger. You can. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And she says it in, like, a sweet mom voice, too. <laughs> So you're just like, you're right. Thanks, mom. I'm going to go kick this test ass. Because I think the first time she told me was in like fifth grade. Um, but she always bought me stuff. So everywhere I moved, like as you can see on my walls, um, most of my walls were filled with positive sayings and affirmations. And I would just go and I would read and I would stare at them. Because in like for me, I was that bad. I was that down. I was like, if I don't read something mm -hmm. happy or nice mm -hmm. right now, I don't like, I'm just going to spin and sit in these dark thoughts that again are not mine. I'm not creating this. I feel like this is being sent to me somehow. And I didn't really have the education or knowledge at the time to combat it except for writing in words, writing in words. So especially when I had a spiritual awakening and you go through the purging and the dark night of the soul and you're facing parts of yourself that you never thought you would face, really looking in the mirror, um, accepting the role of the hero and the villain is what I like to say. Um, it was, it was vital that I just started writing anything down that inspired me, any lyrics, any notes, and I would put them up everywhere. I look like there's a Taylor Swift exhibit in Nashville, Tennessee. It's in the Opry Museum and it's a huge post-it wall and anybody can go like write a post-it. So there's like millions of post-its and not that it was that out of control, but that's how I felt at one time because I had to have post-its on mirrors. I had to have it by my bed. I mean, I was desperate to survive my own mental state, but at the time it wasn't something that I would so bravely talk to people about. 
not because it wasn't a mental health stigma, but still from an empathic sense, I'm like, I don't know if you can hold space for me because I don't even know why this is so dark and deep in me. But I also don't want you to feel obligated to like help me in any way because I'm mm. still, I'm trying to figure this out right now. Ooh, okay. So there's a couple really juicy things that you just said. <clears throat> One is that it is no accident that the people who are feeling positive, whether or not that means feeling happy, but feeling like there's a positive momentum that they're headed towards are doing something every single day towards feeling good, whether that's affirmations or meditations. It, it's, it's not an accident. The same way that it's not an accident, the woman in the gym or, or, you know, the woman in the gym is working out every day to maintain that kind of, of physical health. This is our spiritual health. And if we pretend that it doesn't need to happen in a daily way, then we're setting ourselves up for what you say, the dark nights of the soul. And so it, it needs to be as routinized as brushing your teeth. Where whatever it is you're doing, whether it's affirmations, meditations, visualizations, is happening every day. And where you're doing it is so, so smart. Because when you wake up, your brain state is often in the theta brain state, which means it's more malleable. Mm -hmm. Which means that the things that you put into your brain in that first moment of waking are, have a much more chance, much more more, excuse me, much more of a chance of landing there. So your affirmations, when you just open, you know, like you just realize, oh, I'm awake. And then you start doing these affirmations or maybe it, maybe your cup of tea is visualizations or meditations. It's That's all of so it, baby. Smart. It's all. Well, if it makes me feel good, I do it. I am a, I want to live junkie. Yeah. And I, will I love go, that. I'll go experience all the healing modalities. I will try my best the weirder it gets, right, to, like, try to understand it. But I want to be, like, a guinea pig for healing. That's, like, one of my biggest things. I want to be like, oh, you're scared to go get Reiki? Well, I'll go experience it for you. Here, I'll do a video of it. Mm -hmm. I'll show you. And I'll show you it's, like, it's not this. Oh, you're scared to do ayahuasca? I'll be back. <laughs> I'll tell you how it goes. <laughs> you know, like, I'll report back. Um but it, I mean, it's also like for me, it still is for me, but I still feel such a, just like you with your show, I feel so passionate about sharing all of these findings with people. And I've always been that way. Even when I was a kid, I'm like, whether it was this stick, this bug, this tree, then it turned into this book, this fact, this article, and now it's this TikTok, this meme. <laughs> You know, mm -hmm. communication evolves over time. But it, again, when you realize it's really always been in you, you kind of got to ask yourself, okay, well, why, why is this here? This is probably meant for me to utilize. Let's figure out the proper way to utilize it. And then I think that's when it gets a little hard because we're still so conditioned for like failure and success, but failure is an early attempt at success. And when I heard that, I had to continuously tell myself that with digging into different things because this right is my main passion. I love energy work on the side, but I am not one of those people that wants to do energy work all the time. I don't want to do tarot readings all the time. 
I like it being a part of the puzzle and I think it'll find its way into my life the older I get. But since I still feel like I'm finally such a good student, which I've always wanted to be, I'm really okay with admitting to myself that I'm like, today I can give myself to this passion. All right, I'm feeling this direction now. So I really admire people that constantly do energy work, whatever modality it is, right? Um, because I still haven't figured out how to not be a little overwhelmed by what I see, still a little shocked by the fact that I was right. And then <laughs> when I talk to dead people, um, that still gets me, even though I had experiences when I was a kid and all through my life on and off. I did like a ghost stories episode, so we'll definitely save those stories for another time. But, um... Good question. Yes. How, even though you grew up with it and shut it down when you were a kid, because we can definitely get back to you after giving all this amazing advice, um, how were you able to be okay with when you brought the abilities back? Because there had to have been a lag where you're like, okay, I'm going to shut it down. I want to fit in for whatever reason, but now it's finally back up. This is all real this current state that you're in, but now it, it means that everything that I experienced in the past was real too. Did, was there a struggle with that realization or that awareness? Hmm. Was there a struggle? You know, I think, I think this, the struggle was that I had stepped into the box of conventionality. Mm-hmm. I was teaching full time. And I don't know if you've ever signed a teaching contract, but for those who have, there's actually clauses in many teaching contracts about doing things that are, quote, moral and, quote, for the best of the community. And so when you're earning your living as a teacher, there's a ton of repression that happens, a ton of repression. So as I I left a marriage that was no longer serving me, And by no longer serving me, let me just say, we moved into a domestic violence shelter with 200, with two suitcases, $400 and my five-year-old. So when I left that marriage that was no longer serving me, um, I was still not awake. I still had like impressions and sort of knowings, but there was so, what? Like breadcrumbs? Yeah, breadcrumb. They were kind of impressions, like sort of knowing things. And I just thought, yeah, that's fine. And as I began to heal, my sister gave me a yoga class pass for a local yoga studio. And my healing really began with tuning into my own body. And so yoga was kind of the gateway drug for me. And it really allowed me to tune into the parts of myself that I had completely disowned. And it was in a yoga class that I discovered Reiki. One of the people in a yoga class um, heard me saying that I was looking for a new massage therapist. And she handed me the business card of someone that said Reiki on it. And I said, oh, that's interesting. I've heard of Reiki, but I don't really know what it is. Well, this woman turned out to be my mentor, my one of my closest friends. And she said, I'm a Reiki master. Why don't you come in for a session? I'll treat you. And I went in for the first session and I was like, what? Were you skeptical? No, I was open to it. Okay. I didn't understand what it was. Mm-hmm. I was open to it. And when you were talking about 
sort of the the fear base the fear was what will people think if they know that I'm into this energy stuff right and I, that was in the back of my mind and yet I was feeling so much better in my own body I was like tell me more teach me everything you know and within a year I was a reiki master and so then I was just you know really I was so hungry for the information because all of a sudden I had found somebody who could lead me on a path of understanding my own abilities. And it was the first time that I met another person who could hold that she had the capacity to hold me, to shepherd me into my own gifts. And that was such a, a transformative experience. And so as that became more and more a part of my life, having a mentor was really important because I hadn't seen that modeled. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't do it all perfectly like any of us. And I was curious and I was sloppy and sloppy with my thoughts and sloppy with my intentions and, you know, ended up creating some problems for myself because of that. But I had her to go back to and say, Hey, this thing just happened. What would you do to clean it up? And she was patient and kind with me. And, and, uh, that was really the beginning. Cause I, I sway between like, yes, I know I believe in it, but it's still really hard for my law, my my left brain to not come in and be like, no, mm -mm, mm. and I've seen it, I've experienced it myself for many years, but then stepping into almost like the practitioner role, I have stage fright with everything. Let's just put that out there. <laughs> so it's almost like I get up there and I'm like, what the, like, mm. What do you what do you want me to do? Like I just start talking to God. I'm like, okay, well, apparently we're all conduits for you. So yep. <laughs> if you mm -hmm. could help me out, that'd be super great. Cause I'm freaking out right now. And I'm just like observing the fact that I'm freaking out. I've gotten better with it over time, but there's still some times in class where I'm like, why? Why are you here? Like I talk to my ego and my left brain. I'm like, why are you guys here right now? I'm literally trying to learn. Okay, the right side is here. She's soaking it all up. We will we'll discuss this so at home. Invite your left brain to stop thinking about you mm. and to start thinking about the person who you're serving. Okay, and I because do, I will say that I've gotten really good when someone said you have to literally step out of the way. So I close mm -hmm. my eyes and I picture myself stepping away like my physical body. And then it's usually my astral body that I picture that walks up to the table. I have gotten to that. This is when we're studying further down the curriculum that I'm like, why? Like, I believe it. Why am I getting tripped out the higher I go up in the certification is what I'm noticing about myself. Because it's, again, I think it's, it's like a skeptic safeguard that I've had for everything that I go into because eventually like I'll get over it and embody it and feel it and all of that. But at the time, just to keep the auditing and the awareness on myself, like I notice, I'm like, yeah, I wasn't really focused as much as I wanted to be in class today. Like as soon as we started going down like this pathway, I like something immediately was like, nope, you're not going to take this in the way that you usually take in information. So I'm just always curious why that always pops up. I mean, for me. So a mentor of mine suggested um, 
she talks about your representative. So the representative you is the part that shows up to class, that wants to do well, that sort of wants the A plus from the teacher and wants to do it all right. When you can leave your representative self at the door and just show up with yourself, your heart-centered self, your soul self, things shift. And it's work. It's not like it's not like I don't have a representative. I do. I have a representative and I'm always, well, hopefully, I'm remembering that she's there and that I decide, okay, you can stay out the door. You can I know I know you're there to keep me safe, but I don't need you right now. And so then I can show up with my whole self. And that oftentimes is something that can help me get out of that that doubt. Mm-hmm. So you went through this amazing transformation. By the way, the story about leaving the marriage that no longer serves you, my heart goes out to you for that. Um, mm. I can't imagine being in that, but the courage that it took you to do that. So I do just want to be like, I see you and I love you. And I'm so happy that you got out. Mm. Um, Thank you. Woman to woman, right? Um, so you go through this really expansive Reiki experience. You tap into the divinity that is you. All of these amazing new layers of you come out that probably have never seen the sunlight what, where does your brain go? How do you integrate all of your new um, level ups, I guess you could say? Like, how did you integrate all of this new knowledge, especially because where you are now? I mean, this really is like your main gig, not only empowering and helping people do the same, but you are able to also be a conduit for the divine on top of your podcast. <laughs> Well, you know, it was baby steps, Mm -hmm. really, truly baby steps. So like, for example, um, now I have crystals and, and gems all around me. I I even have some in my bra. (laughs) Yeah. I really wish we could, like I can sit here and these are the closest ones right Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. And I I have a lot more than I can, I can reach. So excited. (laughs) But, you know, it was baby steps, like being open to crystals and and going to a crystal shop and buying one crystal mm-hmm. and and then realizing, oh, I actually do feel different with this. It wasn't this particular. This is a blizzard stone. Did this someone is, recommend you to go or did you just randomly go one day? Well, my my mentor had crystals all over. And she would use them sometimes in Reiki because my my mentor was trained as a shaman as well. So a lot of my approach in Reiki has some shamanistic um, flow in it. And so she had said, why don't we go together? Why don't we go to this crystal shop? And I was like, yes, please. And, you know, it was just one thing at a time, one, one awareness and then trying something like, oh, I'm going to buy this crystal and I'm going to see how I feel with it. I'm going to see if I actually think I can feel or sense a difference. And even if I couldn't name what it was, I could determine if I felt better with it than without it. And so it was just little curiosities like that. And then, you know, plants, adding, adding certain plant medicine, you know, whether it's Palo Santo or sage or essential oils. And it was just one thing at a time. And so I didn't try 
I don't think it would have worked if I would have tried to do it all at once. I think my nervous system would have frozen. So it was just little, little inquiries. Would this make a difference? If I bought an Oracle set of cards, oh my gosh, like that felt so scary. The first deck I, I bought, I was so, I felt like, like, oh my gosh, am I, am I bad? Yeah. Like in a delicious way. Oh my God. I feel this story so hard. So yeah. Hard. And so, you know, it was just one thing at a time and, and it, it just, it's cumulative. And there's a permissioning that has to happen. And you were talking about receptivity a while ago. And so I think about four quadrants, like imagine a grid on a piece of paper, four quadrants. Okay. The top quadrant we're going to call collapsed or distorted. And the bottom quadrant we're going to call gifted. And then on the left, we're going to call that masculine. And on the right, we're going to call that feminine. One of the feminine qualities of being in the gift of your feminine is receptivity. It's being in the receptive mode. Being in the collapse of femininity is, I can't possibly do this. This is too hard. I need help. But not being willing to ask for it. And so when we come into that space of true receptivity, we're in our gift of femininity. And we can also have a collapse and a distortion of the masculine energy, whether or not we're masculine or feminine, as well as a gift of the masculine. And that the, the flow of both is where the richness is. Because if I'm in a collapsed masculine, which I was in much of my life, I'm controlling I am sharp. I am sort of like, let's get this done at all costs kind of a feeling. That's a collapse in the masculine energy. Whereas the gifted masculine energy is like an arrow. Like this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. Let's do this. Let's get it done. And so allowing and being curious of what it feels like in your own system and then developing an awareness and giving yourself tons of grace to get it wrong sometimes and then doing it again. That's a big one. Giving yourself grace for it. Yeah. 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 Because if we start hating ourselves or like, oh my gosh, I'm such and such and such because I did this. Yeah. You're shutting yourself down. And I love that you brought up the masculine feminine stuff. I do have to admit that is one of my favorite things to audit about myself and still continue to study on a deeper level across many different translations of it because mm. every culture has something about masculine and feminine yeah. Yeah. working together in union being pulled apart whatever it is mm -hmm. but when you my favorite really is about um the masculine and feminine energy in yourself and for me I don't know if anybody else is like this when I first started getting into identifying where I was even at at the time. Um, I knew that I was definitely like more masculine energy, especially in like my corporate life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, mm -hmm, get it done. I don't want to hear any excuses. Bye, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, and I don't know where I was or what I was listening to or what I heard, but someone was talking about the broken feminine. 
and they were like listing characteristics of the broken feminine, ways that it could be possible. Here's all the ways that you could not even know that you have a broken feminine, especially when you identify as a female in today's world. And I was like, I'm 100% female. I'm fucking proud to be a woman. And I really have always felt more masculine energy in a way. Um, not from like, I dress this way, just like the feeling of like how protective I am when I go out, whether I'm with friends or family or you know, if you run your mouth to one of my friends, I'm the first one to pipe up and go, I got this, you know, <laughs> like I was always that person. But then when I had to really identify it in myself, I was like, well, where the fuck is my feminine? Excuse right. my language. But that's literally what I said. I was like, wait a minute, where is she? Like, and how long has she been gone? Like, right. So I go into meditation because the visualizations are the best thing for me in the communing. And they showed me a picture of, I just, I got into my breath work and I said, where's my feminine? Where's she at? What, like, what's going on? So they showed a picture of the masculine version of me holding um, a female version of me, but she was like all naked um, mm -hmm. and pretty, pretty messed up. I don't want to get too graphic about it, but he was like, it's so weird because it's like it's two versions of me. It's the masculine energy mm -hmm. and the female energy. So when I say he, we're obviously still referring to me, right? Right, right, um, right, right. Just so the listeners get it because I'm so far down the rabbit hole of masculine and feminine <laughs> that I just assume as soon as I talk about it, like, you get it. Um, so, yes, me, me and the twin version of me, my feminine, and I was like, oh, okay, here she is. And I'm like, what happened? How long ago did this happen? When did it, like, when did I start protecting this part of myself? Because it had to have also been connected to a lot of the things that I had been scared to do or stunted to do, which was anything in my right brain, right? Anything in my creative capacity, my, any of that stuff. So I was like, where did all this go? And that opened like five dams at one time. Talk about like mental destabilization of having zero awareness of what actually happened to you when you were younger, how it actually affected you, all of the things that you never told anybody that you experienced. Because again, back to, I don't really know how you're going to hold space for me. And mm -hmm. you, you do have people that hold space for you and then they really let you down afterwards. And I can definitely say that I've experienced that not from a victim mindset, just from an awareness thing where I was like, what you did to me, I could never do to you because I know how damaging and how hurtful that would feel. So I don't know if you just feel stuff and move on or whatever, but I sometimes get floored by, I'm like, okay, like, I hope I'm safe here. I'm going to talk here. And the talking feels really good because I certainly do enjoy it. But then afterwards I'm like, oh, that wasn't my space. Shit. You know, like, oh, I've overshared. I told them too much. And you even get like a weird shame and a fear that they're going to like use it against you. And that's probably the worst the worst training is what I would say. Because, again, like, I'm not, like, mad about it. I'm just bringing an awareness that this happens to everybody. Like, you really do got to search for some safe spaces. And the deeper the trauma, like, sometimes the harder it is to talk. But even outside of friends group, therapists, spiritual groups, Reiki masters, all of that, it's still, 
I still feel like I have to audit and pick and choose like, okay, how deep am I going to be in this room today? Because I will make all of you cry by the end of this story. And this was just me at age 14, right? Right. Well, and I think we all have those stories that would break people open. Mm-hmm. And part of the journey is, is two, it's two parts for me. One is it's being in equal shared space where we're both being equally vulnerable and, or it could be either or both developing like, so let's say you and I, we just met, but we're talking about the big things. Mm-hmm. We're going there because we're equally sharing. We're equally vulnerable. And so that makes sense. That feels aligned. That feels safe. If that weren't the case and I was the only one sharing, there's like a vulnerability hangover that happens. Mm-hmm. We're like, why did I say that? But then in a case where you're just forming a relationship with somebody and, you know, Cheyenne, you had kind of pre-qualified me to to come talk to your listeners. And so we knew that we vibed before we even jumped into this conversation. But as you're getting to know somebody, there's a little bit of offering like, oh, here's a tiny bit about me. And then you hope that there's a tiny bit about them. And so then in that case, there's a timeline that comes into play where we're developing a relationship over time in little bits. It's no less authentic. It's just smaller snippets of time. You don't necessarily dive into the woman that you just met and are going to dinner with for the first time after you said, Hey, let's be friends. Mm -hmm. Very, very true. Very true. I still like to put those PSAs out there for all of our beginner friends. Cause I'm like, Hey, all this weird shit's happened to me too. And you don't need to feel ashamed of it or like you got duped or your intuition's mm-hmm. off or anything like that. Cause a lot of, I can definitely look back now and go, I feel like that was intuition training. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of a, what, what is that thing? I can't think of the modality. It's the one where like you put your hand out and then the therapist asked you. And then like when your body, when your arm drops. Oh, well that's just muscle testing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Muscle testing. Thank you. Sometimes yeah. Coffee makes my brain go, I don't know what I'm going to say. Um, muscle testing. That's kind of how it feels for me. It's like intuitive muscle testing in a way. But before you have to, you're like, okay, push down on your arm. Okay. This is what the yes feels like. This is what the no feels like. Same thing for mm-hmm. pendulums or anything like that. You really have to hone in on what the feeling of yes this is the way go this way is and no that's not for you because sometimes the no not for you is still enticing so you're like is this lust is this a desire is this a want it does this serve my highest good you know over and over and over but still you're like okay damn it I've labeled this as a desire and not a desire that's tech it's on my path but is this serving my highest good? No. Well, and I think there's also discernment from a trauma-informed lens. There's there's discernment around, is my experience integrated enough that I can share it in a way that I'm not, I'm not raw and open. Mm-hmm. I can be vulnerable and truthful, but if I'm not integrated in the experience it's going to be difficult for me to share that experience without triggering others. Mm-hmm. I think and that's so the biggest thing too, is like triggering others. Cause there are mm-hmm. a lot of parts of my story where I'm very okay with talking about it from an educational standpoint. Like I don't tell my story. So 
you know, we can have like a big Oprah moment together. Like that's not my intention. I would like the Oprah moment at the end if you'd like to hug and, you know, tell me me too and all of that stuff. I'm extremely open to that. But while I, why I go out and talk about the things that I do pertaining to my direct experience is really just for like education, connection, and then honestly, like a lot of throat chakra healing for me. Because again, with the conditioning, you're like, it's in the past. It doesn't matter. Can't do anything about it. Move on. And I'm like, no, it's still there. This is why I act this way. And I, I can fix it. I'm not stuck with this personality or these characteristics. And that still blew my mind when I learned about it. And now it's just a set belief. So when I meet people that are like, oh, it's in the past, you can't do anything about it. I'm like, you're a 65-year-old toddler running around. Please do something with yourself. Right. Your life's not over. And, you know, you're talking about like inner child work. Mm-hmm. And For so, sure. you know, as, as experiences happen to us, there can be a separation of self. So, you know, for example, I have a whole preschool inside me and a junior high. And so if I start twirling my hair and using the word like in every other word, I know that my inner 14 year old is running the show. And so as I we integrate, <laughs> as we integrate those parts of ourselves and heal those parts of ourselves, then we can be less affected by them. And when I say less affected, I mean, my 14 year old self is cutthroat and competitive and wants to be seen. Oh my God. Mine's so emotional. <laughs> like I'm picturing 14 year old me and I'm like, Oh, I really do love you so much. I do, I do, I do. But wow, you are just too curious with nothing to do, my dear. <laughs> too curious. Yeah, yeah. Love so loving those, loving those parts of ourselves, well, integrating I them. That up. So yesterday I sat down for meditation and I hadn't done it consistently in a while. And sometimes if I get too far away from it, it's almost like I'm scared to go back. So I really wanted to write about that for myself and well I had to meditate first so got in did my breath work got my alignment in put uh one specific song on that I absolutely love and I just repeat it over and over because then I can really just get lost in my breath um and I know you're gonna love this so I'm glad I am actually telling you the story so I sit down I get in the alignment I feel my vibe and immediately my vision clears like someone like wiped off a foggy window and my mm -hmm. friend Sally, which was my yoga instructor and dear friend that passed away suddenly right before COVID. I 100% mm -hmm. believe it was COVID. I'm sorry. It's okay. But oh, it's so cool to see her in the spirit realm. Um, and then my friend Cody, who passed away probably a decade ago, um, they were both wiping it, but then they were waving. And they're like, can you, can you see us yet? Can you see us yet? So I just like kept breathing so I didn't like break the vibration. I was like, I see you, but I'm really scared. And they said, you mm -hmm. don't have to be scared. They're like, come over here. We're going to show you something. So there was this veil that was between us where they look cloudy and translucent. And I'm still like my physical meditative self. So Sally pulls her hand through the veil and picks my physical body up and then pulls my astral body through the veil. And then my meditative body is sitting on the ground and I have like two guides behind me. Um, I think they were archangels, to be honest, but I'm still in that part of my training, too. 
So she pulls me through the veil, and as soon as I pull through the veil, um, they're like, look, it's not scary over here. Like, you know it's mm -hmm. not scary over here. Just, like, quit it. You don't need to be scared. You don't need to be scared. And I was like, but I want to audit why I'm scared because being scared um, is one of the reasons that I pull away from so many opportunities in my life. And mm -hmm. they said, um, well, let's sit down with all of you. So they put me back in my body after, well, we danced on the other side too. Cause immediately when I got over there, I was free of all of the emotional entanglements that I had on the physical side. Mm -hmm. And I just started dancing like freely. Like I've always want to, but like stuff in my body has stopped me over and over. So they're like, let's sit down with all of you. And I was like, great, let's go to the council of Cheyenne. And the council of Cheyenne is every age of Cheyenne from me all the way back mm -hmm. around. So it looks like a camp circle, but each mm -hmm. like avatar is, it'd be like 32 and then 31, 30, 29, 20, all of them. Um, and like, I looked around at all of them because technically I'm the higher self in this scenario because mm -hmm. I don't know where she's at. Apparently I'm playing the leading role in this. And I <laughs> sit there and I'm like, I love seeing all of you. Like, I love the way you're dressed, especially 2000 mm -hmm. Cheyenne and 90 Cheyenne. Thank you for coming. Um, I was like, who like who really needs to talk today? Like, who's really been pulling at my heartstrings lately? Not that all of your things aren't valid, I said, but someone specifically in the age range of like 14 to 19 has been coming up lately. So I would like you to come up and kind of like plug your story into me and show me what is trying to come out now. So they showed me everything and I, you know, loved them, sent them away. We'll hang out again soon. And I came up, opened my eyes, super cool and foggy and mm, compassion, all of love. And I immediately grabbed my notebook and started writing down everything that I saw, which usually does feel like a dictation from my higher self at the time. Because mm -hmm. I just see like the teleprompter of things I'm supposed to write. And I'm trying to write down as fast as I can because that shit's just coming out. Um, so again, I love that you brought up the inner child stuff because that is still one of my main healing modalities. And again, like I had wonderful parents. I had an amazing childhood. Everybody has their own trauma. So I don't want to sell myself as like, oh my God, I had a horrible childhood. I'm so glad to get out. Um, no, I just had things like everybody else that happened to them. And your definition of trauma is by far my favorite because it makes everything that happened to anybody completely valid no matter what. Mm -hmm. And that's extremely important because there is just that hierarchy BS where it's like, oh, well, I can't speak on mine. And that actually happened to me when I was in one of those healing circles. One lady was talking about getting through breast cancer and the other woman that was getting ready to speak like was just a, like just filed for a divorce or something. So like they're all crying together and then it's the divorce lady's turn and she goes, I... I can't complain about my life. Like you have breast cancer. And the lady like immediately stopped her and she's like that, that right there, that's social conditioning to think somebody has it worse than you. So you just better be grateful and just deal with the circumstances. Mm -hmm. And that is, I mean, I was raised on that stuff too. Coming down to even, I don't want to eat my food. And they're like, kids are starving. Okay. You're so lucky to have this food. You better eat it. I don't want asparagus, but apparently I'm supposed to be grateful for it. <laughs> and that can just filter off into so many different things in your life. But I think it's really important because your feelings are valid. Your experiences are valid. Absolutely. And so, you know, we can, 
experience tremendous healing, healing of the inner child, the inner teenager, whatever that might look like, and still experience a trigger from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, I had one recently and I've done a ton of healing work. And there was this woman that I met who I really liked. I mean, really liked. And yet I found myself like, I want to do what she's doing. I want to experience what she's experiencing. And my friend, um, who is a therapist and she's so loving and gentle, she just kindly, calmly said, so why do you think you're so triggered by her? And because we're friends and we have this relationship, yeah, she can ask me that question. Spots. What? She's pointing out your blind spots. She's pointing out my blind spots. And I because because like she could do that important. and we have that relationship mm-hmm. built around that kind of authenticity, it allowed me to go inside and say, okay, what is that trigger? Oh, oh, it's, it's my wanting to be seen as a 14-year-old. I want you to see me. I want to be just as important as the other people in your life. And so that part of myself revealed a new layer of which needs some attention and some love and some healing. And I think that's the journey is being willing and open to experience the new parts of ourselves in new ways. And I like to think of it as a spiral Mm -hmm. instead of an onion where sometimes the onion makes us think that, like, I've already peeled off this outer layer. Why is it still in this inner layer? But if we think of it as a spiral, then, oh, I've healed a version of this thing. Mm-hmm. Now I'm coming around again to another version of this thing. And it, for me, it takes away the emotional charge. Thank your triggers for they show you where you are not healed. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. uh Again, kind of an affirmation that I use when I am triggered. Um, my, like, funny triggers is what I think. Like, life lesson triggers or, like, you know, I have a three-year-old daughter. So, plenty of triggers back and forth. <laughs> so much repetition, um, nervous system regulation, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and eventually I'm like, what? What is this teaching me? You know, I'm, like, getting mad about it because I'm like, oh, my gosh. Is this ever going to end with the repetition and over and over and over and over? Like, sometimes it just gets annoying for me. And then uh, literally my sweet little Claire audience says on the nicest voice ever, she's teaching you patience. And I was like, mm. I know. <laughs> I know she is. <laughs> but I don't feel like taking this class today. Can we just... <laughs> Get through potty training. Can you eat your meal? I don't know. (laughs) So I've really been doing a lot of like bringing yourself down to their emotional development reading because Mm -hmm. I have moments where I really struggle with my daughter because, you know, in my mind, right, I'm like, okay, I've told you, I've expressed it, I've explained why because I'm a big why person. So I, I raise my kid on explaining why we're doing the things we do, why you're in timeout, time out, air quotes. We usually like put her away just for a sec over there so she can calm her breath down. And then she comes and sits on my lap and I say, do you know why we had to take a break from playing? And then we go through a whole thing. But me knowing that a lot of, like I asked why all the time and I got that Danny DeVito shit from Matilda that was like, I'm the adult, you're the child. 
Mm. I'm the adult. You're the child. And it's not like they intended to stunt me emotionally in a way. It's That's generational. That's just what it was at the time. Um, and I guess there's like a rite of passage when you're like, finally, I'm the adult. And I get to tell kids that I'm the adult. So, like, when I find myself wanting to have that Danny DeVito moment with my daughter because mm-hmm. it's in my DNA, it was used on me, and it's been used for so long, I'm like, no, we're not going to mythild our child. I was like, what, like, and I'll, like, search my intuition. I'm like, how am I supposed to handle this situation right now? Because there's no guidebook for this is what I'm finding. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew mm-hmm. when I was pregnant, but, I mean, truly not a guidebook at all to the point where, like, I will sit down And when my daughter's in a theta brainwave state, I will ask her questions about source and heaven and the sky and where she came from. I've been doing it since she could talk to me. And um, I 100% believe that she's an older soul than me. So I've sat her down on multiple occasions and been like, listen, you pick the child in this incarnation. You wanted me to be your mom. I don't know why. I don't know why. We're going to have a good time, I promise. I go, but I'm a little confused on what I'm actually supposed to introduce to you so young. I got into tarot and spirituality and all of this around my 30s. Most, I don't need you having psychic abilities when you're a kid. I want you to be a kid, but I don't want to shut it down. So I'm swaying in between this. I'm not going to raise her traditionally like I was. We're going to, you know, bring the new consciousness in. But it's a little bit of struggle. But it's fun because I was listening to Abraham Hicks yesterday and she was talking about how us humans are like, as soon as I get here, then I'll be happy. I'll get what I want. End of Mm -hmm. destination, end of destination. Mm -hmm. And she's really beating it into your head that like evolution is going on and on and on. Like if you think you're going to get there, 10 more track fields ahead of you. So really experiencing the destination along the way is what the human experience is all about. So I can understand people getting tired over and over and over. And I know that you've had plenty of moments where you're just like, seriously, we're, we're going to keep doing this. Okay. Well, and so Abraham Hicks talks about the power of now, Mm -hmm. like now the present when we can keep our attention focused on the present and do the thing that feels really good now, that's where everything unfolds for us, right? So from, and and they're not wrong. I love Abraham Hicks. I had a chance to meet them in person last July in Seattle. And it was just, it was, it was oh everything God. that you think it's going to be. It's, it's well worth it if it's, if you I ever have the opportunity. The seat so bad. I've never been I've never wanted to be reprimanded by an extraterrestrial <laughs> channel in my life. <laughs> I love that. But um, I had a podcast guest once, and she is a, a therapist who works with moms. She is an, a, an expert in maternal mental health. And I asked her, is there an age at which you find moms, either the mom herself or the age of her child, that is more difficult than another age? And her answer blew me away. She said that the age at which the mother had the biggest struggle is the age at which the mother will experience a struggle in her child. Oh, worst fear confirmed. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm she's three and I'm counteracting fourteen to twenty-two. I'm like, oh man, okay. Like my biggest joke, and I mean this lightly, but um, I said uh, I'm gonna give Monroe whatever she wants, but I, it's not like in a spoiled brat way. I'm just. I'm going to make sure, like, if she's interested in painting, I'm going to buy her painting supplies. If she's interested in music, I'm going to get her own instruments. And I said, and another thing is, if she ever sees a boy playing a guitar and thinks, ooh, that's so cool, don't fall for <laughs> it, baby. Mommy gave you a whole collection at home. Any instrument you want to play, I got you. And I, like, when I said that out loud, jokingly to my husband, I said, oh, God, I think that might be parenting from my own trauma. I said, but I'm really parenting from an awareness of things that I didn't get. Just like I didn't do affirmations during the day in the mirror and at night. And I do those with my daughter. And I'm like, I failed at learning self-worth or self-love or just understanding how much you need to have that worthiness and those boundaries. I never got that shit. And if somebody told me about it, didn't hit at those ages. I was I was too far gone at that point. So I'm like, I'm starting her young. I have the theta brainwave state from zero to seven. So everything that's going on is building her personality, personal reality. Shit still blows my mind when I say it out loud. And these are like, this is what I want to instill in her. When I get overwhelmed with, oh God, what school is she going to go to? Is she going to make friends? What extracurriculars? I'm like, the only thing that I can do right now is work on her brain and being kind to people and compassionate and understanding, turning the cheek, defend yourself if you need to, keep yourself safe. But if I can give her self-love and self-worth from the beginning, then I think that that is going to deter her any further than me playing mama bear down the road. Well, and yes, I mean, I think that there's so much research to suggest that there is so much malleability at the age of zero to seven for kids. Mm -hmm. But for the listener whose kids are older, all hope is not lost because, you know, our children, whether they're adults or babies, they co-regulate with us. The more healing we do, the more they are healed. Healing heals forward. And so there is just as much impact as you starting the healing journey with a 14-year-old. It, it might be a little bit more work. Challenging. But, you know, I think that, that if we think that all is lost, if we don't do it perfectly by the age of seven, we would just like, okay, oh, I, I failed. And so past that, but I do, I'm like, I, again, it's the suggestion period that I'm on. I'm like, okay, we're going to get the root and the foundation built here. And then, you know, cause the older she gets, she'll be able to take it over. But how sweet is it when we go to bed at night and we sing twinkle, twinkle, little star. And then she immediately now starts saying the affirmations to me and mm -hmm. we have to say them together. It's really beautiful. Yeah, I love them so much. Like, putting her to bed is one of my favorite parts because, like, we hold each other. So I'll tell you the affirmations because I made them up specifically for all of us. And if they work for any of you, please feel free to use them because we've been using them for months now. And it's it's our thing that I really hope she passes along. Um, so we hold each other, tell her how much I love her, how amazing she is. I put her in bed, and we sing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Um obnoxiously like we are not trying to hit the right key we have 
great <laughs> time doing it. And then after Twinkle Twinkle Little Star's done, um, we say, I am safe, I am loved, I am protected, and I love me. And we usually say them back. And then after we say, I love me, say, I love you. And then she says, I love you, Mama. And now when I walk out of her room, she says, Mama. And I said, yes. And she said, I love you to moon. Mm. Which I love you to the moon and back. Because that's our family mm. saying from my mom. So um, it's, I always, 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 like, I don't even know what to say to my kid half the time. But any of the time that she comes up to me and sits or, like, looks at me or has, does anything. Like, before she leaves me, I'm like, I love you. So, you know, just in mm -hmm. case you forgot in the last 10 minutes, <laughs> you are my everything. And it's That's so, much, so beautiful. It's so much easier when she's three, though, because my husband always make jokes like when she's in her teenage years and all that stuff. Like, he's like, I'll, I feel like I'm going to be the favorite parent automatically because like you, you already know what you're looking for. Well, be careful what you what you like put into the universe about, you know, words have power and oh, the favorite and, parent gets their wallet picked. That's all I know. So <laughs> favorite away, my friend, favorite away. Yeah. So, uh, you know, for people that that don't feel safe, that don't feel loved, if they try an affirmation where they say, I feel I'm safe, I am loved, it'll trigger a nervous system response. Yeah. And then your brain goes into all the reasons why that's not true for you. And it actually will do, it'll reverse. Mm -hmm. So something you might add if you need to, and you'll know in your own system if you need to, is what will it feel like when I'm safe? What will it feel like when I'm loved? And so for the listeners that are like, ooh, I really want that, but I don't feel that, you can insert that little, what will it feel like? And all of a sudden, your brain and subconscious goes into search mode. What will it feel like? Mm -hmm. I absolutely love that piece of advice. The tips and tricks on this episode are just mind-blowing to me. Like I said, I feel like we're recording my own personal session for everybody. <laughs> um, speaking of... Recording stuff. So I know you said you don't know what QHHT is, but I yeah. did record my QHHT, edit some of the things that cannot be said in public, but then I ended up putting it on Spotify as well. So I was hypnotized for two hours and put my recording online as well. Okay, so what does QHHT stand okay, for? we'll get into it, but then we got to wrap up your story because I want to know how you got in business <laughs> and everything. Okay, so QHHT is quantum healing hypnosis therapy or technique, oh, okay. whichever you want to say. Okay. Right, Dolores Cannon stuff. Um, she was like the trailblazer of it. Nobody was doing it at the time because the first time they hypnotized somebody and put them in a theta brainwave state, they started talking about extraterrestrials. So this was like the late 60s, early 70s. And they're like, this is, this is pseudoscience. This is poppycock. You, you can't get any healing from the theta brainwave state or anything like that. So she was just like a regular hypnosis therapist, like at the time. And then like, I can't remember her first experience. I'm getting ready to read one of her other books. And it tells about the first time that we slipped into either like a past life or an extraterrestrial life or something just kind of like mind blowing. Um, she goes through it in detail, like her response to it. Like she didn't even know how to do it. So she just started recording all of her clients over and over and over. And then the same entities, the same past lives 
would come through all of these clients when she would put them under. So then she wrote all of her books and most of her books are just transcripts and conversations from her talking to, I think she just refers them as like high counsel or they or something. So mm -hmm. she mm -hmm. has done like past life stuff because you have Jesus and the Essenes, which is one of my favorite books. Um, you have um, a soul that remembers Hiroshima, like very in-depth stuff like that. But then you have people in like the convoluted universe and like life after death where she mm -hmm. talks to people when they're in after death, but before reincarnation. Because so many mm. people are like, is our conscious intact after we go? Like after really the physical body, is it really over? Because mm. she's <laughs> talking about how um, when our loved ones go away, religion can make you think, well, if they try to come back and talk to you, that's really not them. That's a demon. Right. So we're taught right. that it, like when we're dead, we're dead. You can't do anything on the other side. So this book is just an alternative perspective is the best way I could say it. Cause some people take it as truth. Some people take it as poppycock, um, about life after death, the in-between stages, walk-in souls, so many different things. But then when you get to the extraterrestrial stuff and Pleiadians and Syrians and Tigetans start talking to you and giving you absolute <laughs> karmic, unconditional universal knowledge in every question they ask you, like mm -hmm. their answer makes freaking sense. You're like, oh, you're right. That would make sense. Uh-huh. And it's yeah. funny because they have so much compassion, but like we're the little ants like to them not from a takeover spot, but they're like, you guys are really down there. You guys are the, like the densest thing in the universe. Like you get that, right? Like you're, you're spiritually like locked in these bodies, so to speak for all of these things, but you're not alone, but you guys are really far down there on the vibrational scale. So we're trying to pull you back up. It's got, it's gotten that bad. It's gotten that far. And you can go into like a bunch of research about Hans Wilhelm has great videos um, sharing like how far away like Earth's vibration has gotten away from source energy and he does it in a really good cartoon format. But that's my QHHT tree range for you and I highly recommend all of Dolores's work. As I said, I was hypnotized for two hours and I got to ask a lot of like soul contracts, um, what happens if you unalive yourself, uh, personal questions about my life. Um, I love the twin flame dynamic, not the um, cheesy one where it's like super toxic and I'm not going to do my inner work. I'm just going to yearn for another person who's supposedly my other half. But back to like the divine masculine, divine feminine stuff. Um, I absolutely love that. So I wanted to know from my subconscious perspective, um, like what they are, how, how this even came about. Because twin flame is a coined term from a lady I'm pretty sure her name was Brenda too, not going to lie. Um, and it was only coined in like the early 2000s and everyone just kind of took off from that. Um, but there are honestly a lot of toxicity and a lot of that research too. So I asked the convoluted questions that we all have such a different opinion on. And then I just present it to my subconscious and I'm like, I'm not saying this is fact. I'm just saying that this is what my subconscious said while I was hypnotized and when I woke up, I had dried tears on my face. So mm -hmm. something happened to me. I was wonderfully and deeply healed after it. And then I had a two-hour Reiki class after I was hypnotized for two hours. 
<laughs> and I let my Reiki teacher know, I'm here, but I am not here. So if you could just put the notes on the board and I will just take notes. And I'm so sorry if I zone out. She's like, no, I get it. You went a, you went a lot of places today. You just take your time. <laughs> Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. So, um, Rebecca Campbell has a deck called the Starseed Oracle Are that has, them? I don't know. I just know I have one like Show literally me. right here. Um, the Starseed oh, Oracle deck. Oh, I'm ripping off my microphone for you. Hold on. Hold on. It's a trilogy. Thanks for waiting for me. Okay. <laughs> so what'd you say? Starseed? Mm-hmm. So this is a trilogy. Mm. There's three of them. They work in order, but they're all amazing. And I honestly haven't dove into them enough. I literally got sold on them because I pulled this wait, sorry I pulled this one out it's my favorite and the guy throws me the other two decks he's like you know there's a it's like a trilogy set and I said I don't even know if this is an upsell but you got me bro put them in the bag <laughs> let's do this so I love that you brought that up continue on your story sorry I got yeah so um so that. the starseed oracle talks about the wisdom of of higher consciousness mm -hmm. from other places Lumerians, Pleiadians, all the all the things. So you did just remind me. I want to go back to the story where you were talking about the first time you bought an Oracle deck, and you're like, "Ooh, am I bad?" Mm -hmm. I, I have like a personal experience with this too, based on like what I was raised. Is this good? Is this bad? Is it like a portal, like a Ouija board? Fear mongering, fear mongering, blah blah blah. One of my friends had a spiritual awakening like years before me. So when I was going through all this, I reached out to her and I was like, I need you in my life. This crazy shit's going on. Come back to me. Right. So mm -hmm. she was all on that vibration of I get it. I'm here for you. Um, so she came and stayed with me for a little bit in Wichita. Not as long as I'd like her to. I wanted her to move in with me and take care of me forever because I just felt so safe and the way that I could talk to her about it, like coming into my awakening. So we were sitting here burning some incense, talking about life. And she's like, do you want me to give you like a tarot reading? And I was like, you can read tarot cards? And I said, w we can do that? And she was like, yeah, anybody can read it. Like eventually it'll like intertwine with your intuition. Like first you can start off, you know, and just baby mm -hmm. yourself with the definition of the cards. But eventually you'll be able to see more on the cards. And again, I don't have direct experience with that. So I was like, that's a thing. Like, okay. And again, my skepticism tried to kick it out. So then she like opened this box and showed me her cards. And I remember, like, I was so excited. But in my mind, I was like, can these be in my house? Are these bad? Am I, am I really going to go there? Like I had like that auditing thing. She ended up doing like a great reading on me anyways, which I've always done tarot and Oracle, like especially when I was traveling, probably since my early 20s. So then finally, like, Probably over a year later, I'm in one of my favorite metaphysical stores in Derby, Kansas. It's called New Age Center, and they have a whole rack of cards, and I just got done with one of my readings with my mentors, Connie, and, like, the writer, Wadey, is, like, beaming, 
at me. It's like, take me home. And I was like, can I buy a tarot deck? Like, can I do that? And she's like, well, most people like to start with Oracle before tarot just to like kind of get in the thing. Um, so I got an Oracle and a tarot and started just like slowly playing with them on my own. And then when I did, I had friends that had already been reading and I really did pick up a lot of ticks tips and tricks. I had a lot of fun with it. But for the beginners out there, the people that are like, oh no, tarot's demonic and blah, 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 blah. Everything is about intention. So whatever intention you put into it, that's the bare minimum for me. Except like Ouija boards, I don't Yes, I don't do that. That was my, that was what I was going to say is yes, it's about intention. But if you're playing with dark energy, yes, no matter what your intention is, Mm -hmm. it's dark. But and and so I I over to the good stuff. You know what I'm saying? mm, I I don't play with it at all. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm saying the belief in the negativity of the Ouija board has expanded to tarot and oracle and pendulum. Oh, right. Right. Okay. That that, they're like, yeah, all black magic. It's all dark. It's all bad. And I'm like, no, Ouija boards is like popping a hole in the astral and being the only bright light for things to come and find you. And that's how I woke up. I woke up and I, nobody, by the way, maybe you plan it in your soul contract, but like I, Cheyenne, didn't wake up and go, I would like to have a spiritual awakening. I would like to see dead people all the time. That, not the case for me at all, which is still why my story is still really hard to tell because I'm like, I'm skeptical of my own damn story and I experienced it and I believe it, but it still blows my mind. And then when I have to hear it out loud... I'm like, oh, God, they're going to think I'm crazy. But it doesn't matter because it's my experience. So, yeah, poking a hole literally into, like, a black sky and you're the only light and everything. But I think that shows the importance for anybody new, beginner, like, wherever you are in your journey. It really is about um, auditing your vibration and consistently auditing and making sure if you're receiving information, especially down to chakra talk, if you're a third eye person, is your crown chakra open? Because your guides are supposed to filter for you. And you can set, again, those intentions all for the highest good, whatever you want to do. But trust me, you have some scary moments where you see some shit that you don't want to see. And I think that's what scares people the most is they do feel like they're open to everything. Like they did just open a Ouija board. And then all this weird, old, religious shame. Oh, my God, I went too far. Am I going to get possessed? Like, stupid lower vibrational fears come in. And I speak on that because I've, I've had moments with that where I'm like, I don't want to see that. Okay, I just need to get better control of this. Well, and I think, again, it comes back to intention. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody plays with a Ouija board, it's not... A board game. It is, like you say, poking a hole in the darkness. And so if you don't have the skill, and I'm I'm being really direct here, if you don't have the skill to manage the energy that's coming through and to discern what's good and what's not good, you have no business playing with that stuff. The end. And I'm really... Yeah. 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 And maybe there are skilled people that do it because I know it is supremely demonized, but um, I just have heard so many, so many horror stories and it's never appealed to me, you know, and maybe that's because I've seen dead people when I was younger. So I was a big believer in the power of prayer and commune, communing with yourself and the divine and all that. Like I've always believed in that, just not in the framework of what the religion sells it to you. I really just take that definition out of their little box and I'm like 
no, this is good. This is a way for me to communicate. So luckily I've had that in my pocket, but never in the any time of this journey have I been like, I'm just I'm gonna go to frickin' Target and get a Hasbro Ouija board. I don't well, like I think there, there's other or anything. There's other ways that people who are spiritually curious and coming into their awakening accidentally call in energies that they don't want. And I think that just be being aware of, like you say, your vibration. And are are you putting the intent out there that you want to commune with the highest, best, like, and most compassionate guides? And really, like, I am very clear and direct in the boundaries that I have in my home for energy that is, is welcome in my home, in my physical presence. And I just, I don't play. Mm -hmm. I just, I remember we talked about that last time. You're like, no, they're, they're not allowed in here. And I was Mm -hmm. like, yeah, they used to walk out of my closet and I thought I was going absolutely freaking bonkers. Cause again, it was like probably within a year of waking up. I'm like, I'm not seeing that. And I thought it was, um, not sleep paralysis, but like the same thing where like you, you, you see stuff like right when you wake up and then it's not there, which is where most people think that they have like a paranormal experience sometimes. And then some neurologist can talk me out of it on a YouTube video in two minutes or less, but then it just continuously happens. It's just like when you start questioning it more spirits, like, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. We're here. We're only going to get louder. Only mm-hmm. going to get louder. It's only going to get weirder until you acknowledge us and we just want to work with you. This isn't like a demonic attack where it's like, right. oh, I'm going to eat your soul. It's like, no, seriously, like wake, wake up. There's more, there's more, there's more. Which is And I think, you know, setting ba- the same boundaries that you would have in your home mm-hmm. makes sense. So would you allow someone to randomly walk into your home and disturb you at any hour of the day or night? The answer for most of us is no. And so, you know, setting the same kinds of boundaries and rules. And and I just want to say to our listeners that might be thinking, what? We can set boundaries? Yes, you can set boundaries yeah, in you your own home. You don't have to tolerate being wake, woken up in the middle of the day or night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's powerful. I remember when they told me that too. The last meeting I had with my mentor, she was like, you know, sometimes you kind of do have to get snippy with spirit. She's like, especially if you're talking to the guides that have never incarnated on earth, because they just don't get it. They don't get the human stuff as much as you'd like them. They're just like, we have this mission. We want you to do it. We'll support you in whatever way, but go do your mission. And you're like, but this human thing and this 3D thing and this human thing. And they're like, no, go do it. She's like, so sometimes you just got to get a little stern. And I immediately was like, I'm not going to get stern with my creator. And I think we're talking about two different things because I'm talking about like spirits that come into the home mm. and you're talking about guides. And okay, so that makes me feel better because I had to do big boundaries for stuff coming in the house. But my new level up is telling spirit what I want and meaning it mm-hmm. consistently, mm-hmm. you know, like sending out the right vibe over and over and over. Exactly. So we have talked about so much. So I do want to wrap up. Like, let's get your story up to where you are today, how you evolved your business, um, any trials and tribulations, any inner critic issues that you might have had. How did we how did we get to sitting in front of each other today with all of your amazing gifts? 
Well, I opened the business in 2015. And I began to offer Reiki healing. In 2016, I studied Theta Healing and went back for my recertification in 2020 because you need to get recertified every four years to be a Theta Healing practitioner. And then I went on to get my advanced certification in Theta Healing and then um, graduated just this April of 2023 with a trauma-informed breathwork certification. Mm. And so adding the three of those for me has created a really well-balanced toolkit to create healing on the body level, the somatic level, healing in the spirit, healing in the, the physical level and on the history level. And so in 2022, in August of 2022, I went full-time in my business. I left behind the teaching job. I'd had a teaching career for 26 years and went full-time in on my business. And, and that is how I'm sitting in front of you right now. I love it. You have truly a great story. I mean, I love everyone that comes on the show to talk. Um, especially as in-depth as you and I have, because we're, like, really <laughs> comparing stories and me too to the fullest. Um, have you ever thought about writing a book? Oh, yeah. I'm working on one right now. I published one on Amazon that um, I need to rebrand. Like, I just, just don't think the title resonates with people. And so I'm working on that. And then I'm working on another book um, called Your Yes-Filled Life, all about how to really dive into that that yes, that we all have yearning to get out. Yes. Yes, so one of my earlier goals, I've always wanted to be a writer and publish my personal writings. And um, I used to go to thrift stores and, like, find, like, books covered in dust that people forgot about and piles underneath piles. And, you know, again, you feel it, and you're like, this book's mine. And I always remember from that young age that I was like, I just want to be one of those books one day in the thrift store that inspires someone like, you know, this book from 1927 just did for me. Like, yeah, like why I'm living, don't get me wrong. Like I want to, I want to be able to help and do whatever I can. Um, But my skills is like writing and talking about it and really talking about the shit that nobody wants to talk about. I'm like, you're not going to say it, I'll say it. You know, that's I think there's so much richness there, right? It, well, it is. And, I mean, I think about it comedically, right? Like having a baby. When you have a baby, there are people that tell you the standard stuff about having a baby. And then there's those people that, God bless their soul, they tell you the nitty-gritty. And that's kind of how I think about the spiritual aspect of it is so many people are like, oh, it's amazing, love and light, love yourself, find your power, all of those amazing overly used terms that we do to try to describe universal law Mm -hmm. and I want to talk about the shit that nobody talks about so you're not blindsided and you're going back to your mentor or whatever that's like oh I'm always love and light I'm like red flag if you don't absolutely if you don't tell me if you don't show me your bad day or you don't tell me you have a bad day or you don't tell me your modality of how you get out of it 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 ring charlatan in my ear like it absolutely really and it reeks of spiritual bypassing oh, and so spiritual that. bypassing is where we we try to be like the false positive mm-hmm. the oh i can't think anything negative because blah 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 but yeah. the truth is unless we address the the things that need to be healed within us which are going to include some contrast 
there's going to be some not so pleasant emotions. If we don't give ourselves permission to truly feel that, we can't heal. We can't evolve. We can't expand our own emotional capacity. Absolutely. You have such amazing advice. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be your client because you have Mm. so many tips and tricks and just like literally no matter what I said, you're like, you're basically like, let me pull this apart for you. Let me give you this different perspective. And it just hits home like in so many different ways. It's just indescribable for me. So anybody Mm. that has worked with you, um, I'm sure that they have just transformed and quantum leap tenfold through their trauma and their bullshit and any of their limiting beliefs. And Mm. thank you for coming on. Thank you for continuing your work. When you publish the book, you want to come back on and talk to us about it. Whatever you want to do. I'm all about keeping up with everybody working for the collective. Oh, thank you for having me, Cheyenne. Thank you for sharing space with me. And I'm so grateful that you are doing this work in the world. Because when you are, and you are, you're normalizing the experience of what it's like to be spiritual. And I'm just so excited for you and grateful for the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, don't go anywhere just yet. First, I want to remind you that if you love what you're hearing today, would love to work with Brenda or when her book gets published, you can go down to the description, whatever app you're listening to, and you'll be able to find all of her links and get in touch with her immediately. You do you do like Zoom one on ones too? You don't have to just be in person. I do almost all Zooms. Okay. Like I am predominantly remote and host retreats that are in person. I just want to make sure that we put that out there too. So go get you some healing (laughs) from Brenda and look out for it. She'll definitely be back on to show us her book. Oh, thank you. You're very welcome. Um, I have a special treat for you. I don't know if you'll be able to hear it now or when the episode comes out, but one of my best friends is an amazing musician. And I decided to pull a clip off of her personal Instagram of a track that she did. She um, wrote it herself. It's called Falter. Mm. So, like I said, hopefully you can hear it. If you can't, you'll be able to hear it when I send you the track for sure. But to all my friends still listening, Vitality Exposed Concert Photography, Kelly Green, go check her out. She is going to bring you a original track from Esther Moore called Falter. So enjoy this. And I will also link her Instagram below if you guys want to go check out the original video. Brenda, thank you again. Thank you. I don't want to take your pain. You can leave your things by the door, love. Don't get too comfortable again. This is the Hoosier Media Network, your home for podcasting.